Now let's get into the word here. I want to talk to you today about wasting your life on the church. This is not a series. Occasionally, Pastor Pete's going to let me out of my cage. What it is, is kind of like the, the father's message to the house. Well, I might do two or three of them a year, and sometimes I'll join the series, and sometimes it's just me having a day to get things out of my heart and my spirit. This has been burning in me. This is not the first time I've preached this, but I modified it and tweaked it for this house and things I wanted to say, but it's been something that's burning on my heart. My, my, my text on this is, is Mark chapter 14, verse 3 and 4. And while he was in Bethany, before he entered into the city on his descent, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Now, many believe this equaled one year's wages, the, the value of this particular jar of perfume, one year's wages, just kind of add up your yearly income, and that's what was in this jar. And she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? Or let's just say this, why this waste? Now, we're told not to waste ourselves on a lot of things, like don't waste your life on drugs, or don't waste your life, you know, Smoking a cigarette that takes 13 minutes of your life, every cigarette you, you smoke. Don't waste your life on this thing that will dissipate your life and just, it just leads to waste and, and no good. Don't waste your life on get rich schemes. You know, go to this seminar, learn this formula, and you'll be independently wealthy by the time you're 30 years of age. Don't waste your life on that. Go to work, save your money and wait for 40, 50 years for your wealth to accumulate. And all the boomers said amen. <laughs> I wish we had wands. I wish we had, I wish we could just make wealth when we don't. And, and it's not like everyone just sacrificially gives and everyone's going to be a millionaire. No, you got to save. You got to invest. You got to work. We used to have a show way back in the old days, back when they barely had TV. It was called Dobie Gillis. How many old times? You remember Maynard G. Krebs on that? And every time they said the work, he went, work, work, you know, work. Okay, that's, all my boomers will appreciate that. We have magic potions to lose weight. You can find all the info commercials at two in the morning. You know, you take this pill, you, you rub this on your belly and it takes away all the fat and come on, this is, you can do this. You can stand outside with no clothes on on a full moon. Don't waste your life on those things. Just eat less and move more. Eat less and move more. I remember going to the Nautilus company over here, and, you know, this Bowflex thing, and, you know, and showed a guy that worked out 15 minutes a day, three times a week, and he had a 28-inch waist and, you know, 15 and a half, 16-inch biceps. And I, I grabbed the salesman. I said, you're not going to tell me that if I did that three times a week, I'm going to look like that guy on that TV. You guys are, you're, you're off, aren't you? He goes, yeah, we are. Okay, I know you are. Won't work. You got to eat less, move more. That's what it's all about. Well, the same thing is true in life. But there are, there are, there are, <coughs> there are some things that are, that are actually important to waste our life on. And I want to just say this. Like Mary breaking that perfume vase and pouring everything she had, most likely, onto the physical body of Jesus Christ, I think it's important that you and I waste our life 
on the body of Jesus on the earth. I believe it's important that we do. And I want to talk to you about that today. You know, I have lived my faith in front of you for 24 years now as the lead pastor of this church. Bill and I at the great picnic we had yesterday, senior group, we had a great time, didn't we? I took my two grandsons because we're watching this week. Man, Whit says, Pastor, you mean Papa? There's a lot of old people here. It's all there are. <laughs> yeah, we were. We, we had a cornhole toss tournament and have a very sore wrist today from. It's teasing. We had a great time. Pastor Bill cooked up some really good chicken and had some all sorts of good stuff. Lost my train of thought. At 24 years, but 24 years you've been, you've been watching me try to live out my faith and live out my leadership and watch Sue and, and the way we've tried to live our life. It's been a wonderful journey. God's done a, some wonderful things in and through this church. You know, we've, we've ministered, uh, myself personally, been on foreign 24 different nations, uh, preaching the gospel, some of those nations 10, 15 times. Probably in the 10 year of this church, I've been around the world 60, 70 times. I've preached to the, the poorest of the world, and I've preached to some great masses of people. When I was in Haiti, I'll never forget, they wanted to take an offering, the pastors in Haiti. So all these Haitian pastors gathered around me, and they held out my hands, and they poured this money into my hands, and, and just sacrificed, it added up to a dollar. The poorest of the poor. They'd sit there and listen to preaching because they got a hot meal afterwards and they hadn't eaten all day because they didn't have any food. The poorest of the poor. But I've also, you know, been entertained and treated like a king and, and saw all sorts of great things take place. As Pastor Frank Damasio said, that Bob preaches, goes from the cathedral to the village. And, I, and I've done that. I, I've tried to love the church. I've tried to love rich and poor, tried to treat, treat them both equally with the same dignity. We've entertained schizophrenics in our home and, and people who are dealing with psychotic issues because I, I've been labeled the psycho pastor because, I, because of my background. And, you know, but there's still people, there's still people that Jesus loves and, and uh, they, God has a destiny and, and over their life. And we've taken the homeless in. Sue and I have had 45 people live with us okay, in the tenure of our marriage who are coming off the streets or displaced in life and I mean, there's just, we've tried to love the church. We love pastors. We love leaders. You know, we, we go through things where we're bearing burdens. And I tell people, you know, what's your day like? All I got to do is set my phone down and my day is planned because it's going to ring off the hook and text messages are going to come. We've given our life to the church because we, I believe and we, we have both believed in the message that I'm preaching to you today that it's worthy to waste our life upon it's worthy to waste our life upon. Now, the question is this. The question is this. Where is that body of Jesus on earth today? And Ephesians 1 tells us very clearly where that is. And it says this. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his, here it is, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You want to find out where Jesus is? Go find his body. 
And wherever his body exists, whether it's in a stick-made church in Haiti or under an acacia tree in Kenya or in a cave in Afghanistan, and I have preached the gospel in Afghanistan, wherever, wherever that body is gathering, that's where Jesus is. That's what this says. Wherever you got your bottle or perfume and you want to, where do I pour it out? Well, you pour it out where God's people are. That's where you pour it out. Wherever I'm going to waste this, where do I waste it? You waste it on the people of God. It's the fullness of him. No one's a one man, one woman, demon kicking machine. You want to find the fullness of Jesus? You're going to find the fullness of Jesus in us, not me, not her, not that one, not there. In all of us, that's the fullness of Jesus. So the church is this. The church is the present, physical presence of Jesus on earth. And we see this really clearly in Matthew 25 parable, the sheep and the, and the goats. Of course, you know, you know what's taking place. He, he has the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left. If you're familiar with this parable, and he says to the sheep, you know, enter into the, the reward of your father and enter into the, you know, my eternal habitation. I'm paraphrasing with my own words here. And they're, and they're going, why? Why? Why would we be brought into eternal habitation with you? Why are we welcomed into heaven? Why do we spend eternity with you? And this is what Jesus said. He says, for I was hungry. You gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Notice the identity of Jesus with every member of what is called the church. When you are ministering to that member, you are ministering to me. It's I in that member. It's my grace in that member. It's my identity in that member. Of course, they say, Lord, when do we see you hungry? And the righteous will answer, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you in or naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison, visit you? The king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, there's three, if you look at, commentaries on this particular verse. There's three ways people try to interpret this. One is the poor in general. This is the way you just treat poor people in general. The other, the second one is ministering to the Jews during the time of tribulation. And as you, how you treat the Jews, that's what this is talking about. And the third, this is dealing with how you treat God's people, the church, during the church age. You know, Jesus never called his natural Jewish brothers and sisters his brothers. Remember when he was ministering to a group of people inside a house, and they said, your mother and your brothers and your sisters are outside. What did Jesus say? Who are my mother and my brother and my sisters? It's those who do the will of my Father in heaven. This is God's people. When you've done it to the least of my brothers, when you poured your life on what seemed to, to be that insignificant member of the church of Jesus, you were doing it to me. Don't forget when I was a youth pastor at Bible Temple and 
at an altar call. Of course, all the elders were ministering down at the altar after services. And this lady came, and she was kind of a, a homeless type. I, wanna, I don't want to stereotype or pigeonhole anybody. Type of person came up to the altar, and she prayed to receive Christ with me, and I prayed for her. And uh, didn't see her after the service. And it was about, oh, three days later, I had two of my kids in the car, I believe. Natalie was one of them. Could have been Leslie with me, too. And I was driving on 82nd Avenue, and here is that same lady holding homeless sign, food for, you know, money for food sign. Now, it's one thing when we're passing by people all the time in the streets, you know, what do I do? Do I do this or do what I give? We all face that moral question all the time. I'm not here to speak to that. But when you pray with somebody in church, you see them holding that sign, all of a sudden it's a horse of a different color. So I stopped the car and, and uh, I brought my kids out with me and I found the lady on the sidewalk. I'll never, for, I'll never forget this. So I was coming, she recognized me and she dropped her head in just great shame. And I said, you know who I am, don't you? What's going on? So she showed me her plight and, and uh, you know, the way I ministered, how she got there. And I'm, we're going to go get you some food and I'm going to be right back. And we went to McDonald's and got food and brought it to her. Never forget my kids. They were, I think Natalie was like six and Leslie's like four. They come running in the house. Mom! Mom! Dad fiddle! A poor lady! Okay. <laughs> they were just so pumped up. But, but see, when you've done it to that member of my body, you just did it to me. Ran in a coffee shop here about four or five years ago to someone who actually was part of our beginning first-year team and great, great young man. He really served us and did great. And then he kind of wandered. He got married and he kind of drifted out and I never saw him again. And, and he had been with us five, six years and, and I hadn't seen him for you know, a long time. And I ran into him in this coffee shop. I was studying on a Saturday morning and I, I greeted him. Man, how are you? Just so good. When I ask people questions like, how are you doing or what's going on in your life? I'm not trying to make guilt. I just want to know what's going on. And I said, where are you going to church now? I made an assumption. And I'll never forget this. He said, oh, Bob. It was almost like he was placating me, like having compassion on me. We, we don't go to church. We don't go to church. And he started to tell me, I, I have to applaud him for his boldness, how, what a blessing it is not to be in church on Sunday. You know, Sundays, we don't have to get up and go to church. You know, we go down to Hood River and get coffee and look at the shops and we can go to the coast. And I said, you know, you know, that's, that's so good. You're enjoying life like that. You know, and you're, just, you're just free of carrying a burden of somebody in need or some poor person and you don't have to think about them. You don't have to think about anybody in pain. Congratulations. And I walked off. I don't think he was expecting that rebuke. <laughs> Go do your thing and turn off your conscience. Go do your thing and prepare and, and pretend that there are not people who are not just looking for God, but looking for a community of people who will just care, help them move forward in life. Just pretend they don't exist. Just pretend you're not responsible and turn it off. Connection was lost on my, my keynote here. You got me, Mark? Here we go. You know, 
it's concerning to me sometimes the things that Jesus has tied himself to and committed himself to and is so in love with that is so lightly esteemed by people. I want to just talk to you about things that we say that reveal really how lightly we esteem what Jesus gave his life for and his building. Here's one. Come on, forget the church, I follow Jesus. Wow, that sounds so spiritual, but can I, can I really love Jesus and do that? That's the question. Forget the church, forget what you're building, forget what you gave your life for, forget what you weep for, forget what you're grieved over, forget what you're burdened about, forget what you're broken about, but I love you. Try that in your marriage. Sue tells me, Bob, could you move a plant? She, makes, she has me move a lot of things. And I said, listen, Sue, I love you, but I'm not doing that stuff for you. Will that work in marriage counseling? No, it won't. Can I really love Jesus and do that? The answer is no. Or how about this one? You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, I recognize that we're not saved by works. We're not saved by disciplines. Okay, I understand that. But the question that I have to ask back is that can you really follow Jesus and not love what he loves? It's an oxymoron. My, my answer to that is no, you don't have to be, you're not saved by attending church, but if you're saved, you attend church. If you're saved, you love the house of God. No one ever told me I had to go to church. As long as I got saved, I was there. I loved hanging out with God's people and figuring this thing out and living life in community and being loved on. And, and man, I appreciate it, especially as a young convert. Everyone just was really into me, and I thought this was really kind of cool. It's not just I get to, but there's, there's a longing in me. I, I, I carry the, the heart of Jesus for this. I, I need to get plugged into a church. I like this one. You know what, it's like I, it's like I, I need a, an, an energy source. I need to plug in. It's like driving into the parking lot of the mall, and they got these places for electric cars where you can plug into. I just kind of plug into an energy source. People do that. You know what, I need to get to church. I need a real shot of the presence of God. People tell me all that. I, I, I'm coming to church box. I need a shot of you. I just need to hear you preach. But that's not what this is about. You don't plug in. You become a part of, you waste your life on, you're absorbed in this thing. It's not just, it's time for me to, I need a little presence shot. I need a little word shot. I need a little this shot. It's like a little energy source. The church is not relevant. It's just, you know, it's just old school. Man, it's just old school. Well, let me just say this about the church. You know, we kind of want to get a metaphorical picture of this beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous, you know, 22-year-old bottle that hasn't been married yet and hasn't had children. That's like we want to metaphorically kind of look at this. But I want to say this about the church. She's actually an old lady. She's actually 2,000 years old. She's old. She's got warts, wrinkles, bowed back, varicose veins. 
She's, in, she's endured betrayal. She's endured persecution, martyrdom. She's endured heresies, divisions, carnal agendas, criticism, mocking, resistance. Yet she continues to endure and she continues to grow. And like a lot of old ladies, she's not concerned with being relevant as she is with being honored. She's not out to impress. She's not out to impress because she's not impressed with anybody. She has nothing to prove, but she's waiting for us to submit. So yeah, she's old. This is not something you just make up. This is something that's been handed to us. Jude 3 says, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to you. This is a baton. This is not something you create. This is not something you just found. This is something that's been given to you. It's been given to me. And it's old. And she's an old lady. And she's not trying to be impressive. Remember I told you when Jesus gave us the parable of, you know, the mustard seed that grows into a big bush, what a beautiful picture for the church, a bush. It could have been a big cedar tree or a big sequoia. It could, could have been, you know, big redwood, but it was a bush. Jesus doesn't care if you and I look good to the world. He wants us to be good in the world. But we, Jesus isn't out to impress. Jesus isn't out to just look great. I was talking to my friend Frank Damasio who's gone through just hell with his health, about him physically being present at our conference. I said, you get up there wounded, you get up there in your walker, you get up there in a wheelchair, you get up there whatever you gotta get because we don't need you know, good looking GQ preachers. We need someone broken in himself and the power of God yet moves through him. And what will happen is every pastor who's hurting in that pew and everybody who's bleeding in that conference will see, look what he's doing, look what God does with him, and you're gonna give him hope. The church is not relevant all the time. And yes, it is old school because it's, she's been around a lot longer than you and I have. The church is full of hypocrites. <laughs> you know, we have grace for the world. Love the sinners, accept people. We want this to be a safe place where they can process. But as soon as a Christian steps out of line, we beat the snot out of them. Oh, hypocrites, hypocrites, you know? Really? What about the world? What about the world? You know, the pastor fell. They misused money. They faked the healing. But here's the issue. Not everybody did that. Not everybody abused money. Not everybody fell. We're like Elijah, you know. There's no one left, only I, you know, we're your true servant, you know. We think that about the church. Yeah, pastors mess up. Yes, churches mismanage finances. Yes, people fake healings. But there are people legitimately healed. And there's thousands and thousands and thousands of churches that do manage their money. And there's pastors who sacrificially live a life of great integrity and sacrifice and sometimes with wounded hearts. We never talk about them. 
There are good people who all want to get up in the morning and do good things for people. That's the church. Yeah, we got other issues. And we're so impatient with our own kind. We're the only place around the world that loves the people who hates us, and we stomp on people who love us. How about this one? Church is a hospital. No, excuse me, the church isn't safe. I like that. The church isn't safe. You know, sure, we haven't kind of worked all the sin out of our life. Have you noticed that? And in that, we, yeah, we collide and we hurt each other, but where is it safe? Where is it safe? Oh, it's safe out there. Really? It's really safe out there? You know, I, was, I had a great time at church. I was the parking lot attendant last week. And I had a great time parking cars and saying hi to people. I backed up traffic all the way back to 78th Street, talking and praying with people. I had a great time. Church is good. People love me. I love people. God is good. We get home. And I'm going around a little corner where I don't have a stop sign and I can just move onto a perpendicular street, little, my little neighborhood. And some guy coming from this other street comes flying around the corner and I had to be in a little bit in the left lane because they had blocked a construction sign in my lane and I had to get around it. And he almost hit me. And I whipped out of the way and I said, wow, and flying. Guy gets out of his car and he just starts yelling at me. I'm thinking, really? I've lived here for 24 years <laughs> We never had this issue until you Californians came in. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's not safe out there. People are rude and tough and vicious. Where is it safe? By yourself. Sometimes that's not even safe. Okay. So I'll let, how about this? The church, is, the church is too traditional. Let me just say this. Those traditions remind us of what we are to affirm and reaffirm with each other over and over and over again. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a tradition. We don't just serve communion when we feel led. We're commanded. We try to do it once a month. They're going to do it at the end of this sermon. It's something we do. When we're doing baptisms, it's, we're affirming the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the new life he brought and heaven coming to earth. We're, we're affirming these truths. We anoint with oil. It's a tradition, yeah, but the healing comes because we're, we're believing for the Holy Spirit that's been released because of the cross and the power of Jesus and his blood to bring into your life the intervention of heaven. We affirm truths when we're teaching, when we're worshiping, when we're fellowshipping, when we're having small groups, when we have classes, we're affirming truths and feeding each other. We have traditions. We have traditions. Well, the church is a hospital. Now, here's a, no, here's the problem with that statement. It makes it look like we're a bunch of losers. It's just a bunch of failures. 
And we fail sometimes in that statement to give credit to God's transformational power. Now, true, true, that people come in broken and crippled and wounded, and we understand that one of our value statements is that we take failures and we turn them into champions. But we got to give credit to the transformational work of the Holy Spirit and what God's done. I see Monica back there visiting here in and out out of Texas and still got a business. I remember when she and her husband came into the church. I remember her brokenness. I've seen what God's done with her. She's a prosperous businesswoman and has two now, a franchise she's building. That wasn't a part of who she was when she came in. God gave her a dream. God gave her a destiny. God transformed her. I think of people like Kay Roberson working with Pastor Jan. She's done a great job with her. She had sheets and sheets and sheets of medicines that the doctors were given. I looked at it in my own office. I couldn't believe they're giving you all these pills. I mean, I'm flipping pages like that. Jan's worked with her, got faith in her, got confession in her, got discipline in her. She's off most of all medications. I don't know how much weight she has lost. She's got faith. There you Kay, you're right there. Kay, stand up right there. This is Kay. I remember, what year was that? About 99, 2000, you called me on that Friday night? Here's the conversation, like 10 o'clock on a Friday night. I said, Kay. Bob, I'm in ICU. I am dying. What did I say to you? That's right. <laughs> One thought, yeah, we were broken. Yeah, we were limping. Yeah, we may not have good track records, but he's here to transform us into something victorious. Paul said, you're a living epistle, read and known of all men. Come on, this is a glorious that this one and that one and this one and that one were born in her. That's the great story. The church is exclusive. Oh, it's exclusive. Yeah, right. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, real exclusive. Now, I recognize that some of us, because we're a suburban, you know, majority, Caucasian type of a a church because of the demographics of our city. Yeah, and sometimes we see Christianity through our culture. You, you learn that as you work with more cultures. But, but the issue is this. We're inclusive. The whole Bible is about all, 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 all. That's what's at the Mary's Supper of the Lamb. I'm not saying all are saved, but all cultures and expressions and things that God's created. This is what the church is. Or how about this? Church is phobic. They're all church is phobic. That's been a new one. Like we're mentally ill. We got really weird issues because you know why? Because we believe in sexual restrictions on all of us, not just a set of group of people. We've all are under the yoke of sexual restriction because we believe it stabilizes the family and it stabilizes culture, and we become healthier and better as a result of that. And it's not just one group of people. You've got to stop doing that. We all have restrictions. And well, Bob, you're heterosexual. Yeah, so? God put a restriction on me. I don't know how many billion women around the world. He says, you get one. And all the other ones are off limits. It's like this guy saw this, this souped-up classic car 
You know, it was just really well done. There was a sign on it. It says, just like my good-looking wife, you may look but not touch. <laughs> we all live with those restrictions so we become a better society and better family and all these other things. But, you know, we're mentally ill. So, Satan doesn't like the church, does he? He hates her. We got to get that down. He hates the church. Dick Eastman, in his book, Jericho Hour, he talks about a woman who was on an airplane and uh, they were handing their, the lunch meal, the dinner meal to the woman next to her. And she said, no. And this woman was a Christian and, and, and uh, she says, oh, you're not eating. And this woman says, no, I'm not. I'm fasting. She goes, oh, you're a Christian. She goes, oh, no, I'm not. I'm a Satanist. I'm fasting for the destruction of the marriages of Christian ministers. He hates the church. He hates this. He hates all the churches that are gathering today. He hates my pastor friends in this community. He hates the church of America, the church globally, the church of Afghanistan. He hates the church, and he's out to destroy her. He's touching the anointed ones of Jesus. Now, why church bring this to a close? Real quick. It's where God dwells. It's that simple. In him, in Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Where's the dwelling place? Where we gather, where we're connected. Regardless how that looks, he dwells among us. Now, yes, Jesus took it down to the smallest denominator, two or three, but he dwells among us. Notice what Paul said to the Corinthians. If anyone destroys God's temple, well, I don't want to, you know, tag the walls of this place or vandalize this building. That's not what he's talking about. God will destroy him. That's a pretty heavy word. God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. All right, okay. Where's the temple? And you. This is not you singular. This is you plural. And in the context, he's addressing a congregation. You together are the temple. So what happens when you think that you're being led by the Spirit to attack the temple of God? I, I don't want to be you. That's not where you're going to get favor from God in your life. It's where God has placed each of us. Notice what it says here. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Look how carefully that language is. He's carefully placed you in your gift ministry and how he's created you, worked through your whole life, and anointed you by the Holy Spirit, all that package together, and he's placed you in the church. Sometimes that, some of that means that there's an assignment of a local assembly he wants you to be a part of to help build. It's also maybe he's going to transition you out and move you over here, but he's so careful about that and how he does that because he's concerned about his church. He doesn't want, this is a beautiful body. It's got 15 legs. No, it only needs two. He doesn't want it out of sorts. Here's a big giant head. We have no body, just a few toes. Okay, that won't work. He needs a whole body. He carefully puts this thing together, but notice how flippant sometimes we treat that. It's where the gospel is demonstrated. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. When we actually sin against each other, we make mistakes, we're careless, we may have hurt each other's feelings, we 
may have not realized we offended somebody or we betrayed something or something took place. We fail. I have had to apologize many times to the pastor where I fail people. But you know, when you forgive me and I forgive you, we're actually demonstrating the gospel to people. There's the gospel proclaimed and then there's a gospel demonstrated. We are demonstrating how Jesus forgave us. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. When Jesus restored Peter, part of the package is that you must love my church. Why did Jesus ask Peter three times? Because Peter denied him three times. Jesus wasn't given a flippant, just a casual grace answer back into the good favor of that relationship. I want to make sure that you and I, Peter, are in sync with one another, and this is real. Do you love me? Notice, they're both by campfires. Jesus just cooked them breakfast. I'm taking you back to right where you betrayed me. Do you love me? I just want to check this out, because we're not just, I want this real. And every time he says, if you do, you love my church. If you do, you love my people. If you do, you feed my sheep. What would that have done if Peter said, you know, I don't want your sheep, I just want you? I don't think that would have worked. He commanded us to love each other. It's where true spiritual authority resides. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Now, binding and loosing are really rabbinical terms. It's what is permitted and what is forbidden. Whatever you forbid on earth shall be forbidden in heaven. Actually, the language is already done in heaven. You're agreeing with heaven. Whatever you loose or permit on earth has already been loose and permitted in heaven. We got to line up with the mind of Christ, amen? But when the church does that, things are released. Finally, my brethren, notice this, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We always do this individually, but notice what he says here. Finally, my brothers, he's talking to the whole church to put on the whole armor of God. The church to lift the shield of faith. The church to hold the sword of the spirit. The church to be shod with the gospel of peace. The church to have the helmet of salvation. The church, come on, the church to have the belt of truth. The church to stand against the forces of darkness. What can we, the church, do in the authority of Jesus backing us up? It's where we affirm and reaffirm the faith that has been delivered to us. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you church together, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are affirming and reaffirming what we believe about Jesus. Paul said the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? We together participate in the blood of Jesus. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? We are participating that we have become one because we're one with him and we're connected to him. And we're connected now to each other. This is not something we can take lightly. It's where we use our faith to bring hope and healing and deliverance to others. One of my favorite stories, Mark chapter 2, 3 through 5. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, I want you to notice something. When Jesus saw their faith, he didn't see the paralytic's faith. 
He saw the four men's faith. Paralytic didn't tear the roof off. The paralytic, you know, didn't, you know, plow through the crowd. The paralytic didn't carry, you know, the, the stretcher. He saw their faith. When he saw their faith, he said to the man, your sins are forgiven you. Get up and walk. Their faith. You know why I need to come to church? Because you need my faith. When I come to church and I gather with you, whether it's in my community group or one-on-one over coffee, because we are, because we are part of the body of Christ, we're serving each other, or we're gathered here on Sunday mornings, my faith is here to add to you. My faith sometimes will bring a healing to you. Your faith might bring a healing to me. We come together because every one of us has faith for each other and we build one another up in faith and we stir one another up in faith and we, and we get people to believe what they can become. We are faith. What would happen if we don't come? They don't get the same faith as they would have as if we were here. You are robbing the church of your faith when you refuse to be with it. We add to each other. Lastly, it's where we encounter God through each other. To each, everyone say, that's me, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given, not just to one, each has been given something for the common good of other people. Paul prophesied, an unbeliever, outsider enters, he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you because of they've encountered you. They've now encountered God. Had a, had a top doctor come into this church one time. He actually is a teaching doctor at a university hospital. And something was wrong in his body. Because I came in and a number of your people prayed for me and I was, I was healed. I was visitor. I was healed was healed when the people prayed for him. My sister, Carol, who resisted the gospel for years, years, got ovarian cancer, stage four, 2014. She was on her deathbed. She was in bad shape. I said, Carol, here's the issue. There's 500 people praying for you. You need to understand that. We're knocking on the doors of heaven. You need to remember this came up here, she went to an oncologist who worked with her in Kirkland, and so she's worked with the same oncologist for six or seven years. T levels are down. She survived. She's doing well, got saved, got baptized here in this church, went through the Purple Book. And she was telling me the other day, she was with her oncologist, and her oncologist finally just broke down and said, you know, Carol, I'll just be honest with you, I didn't think you'd be alive right now. But it was your faith your faith. It was your ministry that saved her life. This is why we need church. I'd like the ushers to come forward right now and uh, just start ministering. Rob, you can get that prophetic word re-stirred up. I'll bring it up in a second. Just come sit next to Darcy here. new song is 
It's really a declaration. It's a prayer. It's really about what we preached on today. You're going to hold it, learn it. I'll, I'll bring Rob up here to give a prophetic word at a particular point in time, and then, then we will. He's saying right there. I know you're like a, a Brahma bull ready to get out there in that rodeo. We'll get you out here in a second. Let's sing.